0: So I'm continuing a series that goes through the book of Galatians. We're up to chapter 3 today. Chapter 3 in Galatians. And, and for a moment then, thinking about how this connects with the gospel that Jesus gives. Jesus was the kind of guy that always seemed to have something forgiving to say. Right? Jesus seemed to be the kind of person that no matter where he went and no matter who he encountered, he encountered them with this invitation to come back. That that Jesus would come to people with an invitation no matter how far away that they had drifted from the community of God's people, that Jesus met people and said, no, the invitation is there in my grace for you to return, come back again. That he had forgiveness all over the place. That seems to be the way that Jesus operated in the ministry that he had while he was on this earth. Except for one thing except for one group of people in particular, or one fault in particular that he points out. Now, it may be true that Jesus, Jesus more than anyone else, right, is in a position to point out people's faults. Because Jesus is the one who lived a life without any faults. He lived a life that was perfect, So if there was ever anyone who had the right to point and say, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, it would have been Jesus. But he didn't do that. Except for one group of people and one fault in particular. That Jesus, while he had forgiveness and grace to show to so many, he seemed to have some rather harsh words that always came to the Pharisees, the the religious people, the super-religious people. And the fault in particular, right, the one thing that he always seems to call them out for again and again is hypocrisy. That you are hypocrites, he said to the religious people. So, I wonder, why is that? Why does Jesus, who gives so much grace and so much forgiveness to so many people, draw a line to the super-religious people and in particular point and say, hypocrite? Why does he point that one out? What makes that one the one that's separated from all the others? Maybe as we look a little bit today at Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul will help us to see that a little bit better. That in Galatians 3, we see a little bit of a picture of how it is that this one particular fault of religious hypocrisy comes into play in a way that helps us to see that. Here's how I'm going to go through that today, that uh, we're looking at the first 14 verses of Galatians 3. And I'm going to take this in chunks. So it's, it'll be on the screen here, but it's also it's printed in your bulletins that you have that you can follow along. I'm going to take it in chunks as we go, and I'm going to move around a little bit. So we're going to read a section, then jump to another section, then go back. So there'll be a little bit of bouncing around, but that's intentional. I didn't forget verses. I'll get to them. That's how we're going to go through it, okay? So, first of all, here's how he begins. He begins with these first five verses, and I'm going to read these first five verses then that come to us that comes with five questions. He says this, "'You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed and crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard?' Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask again, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? All right, I'll stop there and consider All right, I I wonder a little bit. Paul begins this, and he says right in verse 2, I want to know just one thing. And then he asks a whole bunch of questions. And I think, no, Paul, that's not how it goes. If you want to know just one thing, then you get to ask one question. Something here doesn't add up. It's like the saying that goes, you know, there are three kinds of people in this world, those who can count and those who can't. Another minute with that one. Yeah. But that's what, that's what I want to think here. Like, all right, you want to know one thing, but then you throw all these questions at us. So what is it that you really want to know, right? What, what is Paul really digging after in this? So let, let's look through these questions that come in these verses and see how they all tie together. He starts it right off. He says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Bewitched in the sense where we almost get the picture in this that Paul is is telling us there is more going on here than than a simple slip up or mistake, but but there is a spiritual battle taking place here. And Paul gives reference to that in other letters that he's written as well, doesn't he? That in this spiritual battle that our struggle is more than a struggle against flesh and blood or people of this world, but, but that there is a larger spiritual battle that takes place, and, and Paul's giving a nod in that direction here, that, that what we're talking about here, while we're talking about some specific correction that needs to be made with the way that the church in Galatians, and the Galatians regions live, that within that, there's some higher struggle taking place, and there's a spiritual connection to what that struggle looks like. So we ask a question of that. Then he proceeds to the next question. So, Did you receive the Spirit by works or by believing? How did you receive the Spirit? How did the Spirit of God come upon you? Right By by the things that you did or by what it is that you believed? He's coming to that question then because he's reminding them that they were these Greek Christians in these churches in Galatia received that gospel message from him and came to faith by believing it before they knew any of the rules. Right? Paul did not come to them and say, all right, you need to do this, 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 this. And if you do all those things, then you're in. No, he came with the message to say, Jesus died for you. You believe it. You have faith in that. You're in. He's reminding them of that. Moving on to the next question then. He asks, so are you so foolish? Foolish in the sense of, but you've already experienced, you've already had a taste of, what it means to have salvation in Christ by faith alone. You've already been there. It's not like someone's coming to you for the first time with this. You've already lived in this. You've already experienced it. And in fact, his next question goes even further within that. Have you experienced so much in vain? This one seems a little odd for Paul because Paul seems like the kind of guy who's so logical Everything is about logic and reason with Paul. But, but here he asks, he asks a question that plays to their experience. Not their logic, but just think about what it is that you have already lived through in your own experience, that you know that you have received the Spirit of God when it came to you by the faith that you had. So you know better by your own experience. And then he concludes with a repeat. He's actually asking the same question over. And he asks again, Did you receive the Spirit by works or by believing? You see, I think what we recognize when we see this with the first two chapters of Galatians, we picked up by this point that the people who were coming, these Jewish Christians who were coming with all of their Jewish customs and saying, and you have to do these things too, they were looking for a both-and. They weren't saying, no, 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 forget about Jesus, do these things instead. They were saying, okay, Jesus, yes, but also, in addition to, on top of. So they wanted a both and kind of answer to that. All these things that you have to do now. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. This is not a both and, but he's framing it as an either or, right? Right? You can't have both. It's either one or it's the other. And he's making this logical, reasonable argument for that, for them to recognize it's not both and, it's either or. Because when you live the life of both and, you create a double standard. Double standards. And when you live life with double standards, you live a life of hypocrisy. Double standards are the things that make people hypocrites. And that points back to that one thing that Jesus, in all of the grace and forgiveness that Jesus had, the one thing Jesus pointed at and said, nope, not for hypocrisy that we need to somehow be careful of that. And Paul then is giving us this example that, you know what, it, it, it didn't end in the time of Jesus and with the ministry of Jesus, but, but somehow that was something that continued to creep into the New Testament church even after the time of Jesus, even after the resurrection. That we still then need to maybe be aware of the ways in which this double standard creates a hypocrisy, that we confront in the church. So what does that double standard look like? I'm going to label this in two different ways then as we go through this passage. There is a standard of the law and there is a standard of faith. I'm going to go first with the standard of the law. And to do that, I'm actually jumping down in the passage. So I'm going to pick it up at verse 10, okay? Verse 10, where Paul writes this, "'For those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse.'" As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. A reference there to the crucifixion. So the standard of the law, you know, Paul doesn't mince any words right here. He gets right into it. The law, the law is a curse, right? Not just that, you know, the law is something we view differently or has a different purpose or the law is something that we should see differently. But no, he, na- he names that and labels that as a curse that we see the law that way. Why does he do that? Right? What, what is Paul after in the way that he labels the law like this? Think about it this way. I remember once in my, in my former church in Denver that there was this incredibly saintly, godly gentleman, this old man who, who died and we did his funeral. And, and I remember in the process of doing his funeral, the, the visitation that would happen before and the, the meeting and greeting with family and friends and all who gather before the service and then after the service. And how many stories I heard about this gentleman and what a good person he was. All that he did for the church and for his community and for his family. Right, that, that he would volunteer wherever a volunteer need was needed. That he was so generous that when there was something that needed to be given, he would give it for that. A guy who was born and raised on a farm in northwest Iowa, but then moved to Denver, then in Denver got a job at the U.S. Mint right in Denver, which prints all, makes all the coins that we have in circulation. Worked his way up to be the number two guy at the U.S. Mint which basically means, you know what, he was running the Mint because the number one guy at the Mint is a political appointee who typically doesn't even understand how that process works. So he runs the U.S. Mint in Denver for years and years, but you know what, you would never know it. You would never know it by the kind of house he lived in, by the beat-up old truck that he drove, by the kind of clothes that he wore, because he was always so humble and modest in his means. So those stories would come on the day of his funeral. He was such a wonderful guy. And and so often then, I heard attached to that a phrase that would go something like this. I'm sure he's by Jesus' side. I am sure that he is in heaven in glory with Jesus now because he was such a great guy. He was so godly. I know that means well. I, I know there was good intention to those comments, but do you see how wrong that is? Well, okay, I am sure that he is in heaven now. I am sure he's by the side of Jesus, but, but being by the side of Jesus for him has nothing to do with how good a person he was. Nothing. Being in heaven with Jesus is completely about the faith that he held in his heart period. That alone. Do you see where that double standard comes in that even when we mean well, even when when we're trying to say words of comfort and encouragement, that thinking comes back in though, doesn't it? It creeps back in that reminds us of that double standard. Paul then wants to be very direct about it, I'm being sort of gentle in that, but Paul says, you know what? That's a curse. He's laying it out then for people like that. Jesus takes that too. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus has these standards that he runs with as well, standards that show us that the way in which he interprets the law are ways that give us new ways of thinking about the law. In fact, he does that in ways that close all the loopholes. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says things like this. You have heard that it was said don't murder, but I tell you anyone who has harsh words for a brother or sister or is angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. You have heard that it was said don't commit adultery, but I tell you anyone who looks at another lustfully has committed adultery in their heart. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus again and again and again closes all the loopholes, and he does that in a way that tells his audience, tells us, you know what? There's no way out of this. There is no way that following the laws, being the good person, meeting all those requirements can ever stack up and add up for you. It cannot happen. Nobody gets an out. Everyone is left guilty. In our tradition, our Calvinist tradition, where we follow sort of the, uh, the doctrines and teachings of John Calvin, we have a term for that, of that kind of, of place where we're left where no one finds a free pass or gets out by doing things on their own. In fact, that comes from the canons of Dort, and that's been summarized as five things that we use with the acronym TULIP, if you've heard of that before, and the very first one, you know what it is? You know, right? Some of you, anyway. Total depravity, right? That we... We have acknowledged exactly what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount, exactly what Paul is saying here in Galatians 3, that, you know what, trying to get there by doing all the right things and living all the right way does not even get us one step ahead. It's not like we can pass the class at all. It's not like we even get a D minus. It's an F all the way across, every step of the way. The result then that Paul lays out for us is this, that the law of God can never be for us a path to righteousness. Never. Instead, that curse of the law is taken by another means. It's Jesus who becomes the curse so that we may be declared righteous. There's an exchange that takes place there, right? That that we are not righteous because we are righteous, because we're not righteous people. We are righteous because Jesus is righteous. And Jesus took the curse that was on us and exchanged that for his righteousness given to us in his place. That is how we come before God then. And that is based on a standard of faith standard of faith. So let me read a few verses that I skipped over, okay? So I'm, I'm backing up now, and I'm picking it up at verse 6, where Paul writes this. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And I'm going to skip way to the end, to verse 14. Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. A standard of faith then. The question for us today then is, how does that apply, right? What is a practical application that we can take from that today? A practical application that acknowledges, you know what? When we live in a world that tries to hold the both and, that we will live in a world of double standards. How do we shake ourselves free of that double standard and say, how do we live as people then who live by the standard of faith so that we don't hold on to those double standards, that Christ pushed against, that the Apostle Paul pushed against. How do we avoid that? Well, there seems to be maybe one application that I can make for us this morning that helps us with that. And it's an application of a standard of faith that, that diffuses hypocrisy. Right? A standard of faith that diffuses and takes away hypocrisy. How do we do that? How do we live that way? Well, it seems like when I encounter people in our community and there's a choice, a choice, a choice between either judgment for things that they do wrong or grace, an invitation of grace in Christ, that I, to the best of my ability, will try to choose grace every time. Every time. And I know that there are people out in our community and out in our world who You know what, they're going to take advantage of our graciousness. But I'm still going to choose grace over judgment every time. Because if there's a day where where I come face to face with Jesus, and if Jesus is going to accuse me of doing anything wrong, I think I want that accusation to be you know what, Tom, you gave too much grace. I think I'd be okay with Jesus saying, okay, yeah, guilty as charged. I gave too much grace. And the reason for that is because the opposite would horrify me. I never want to have a day where I stand before Jesus and Jesus looks at me and he says, Tom, you withheld grace where it should have been given. Tom, you were too stingy with grace where it should have been offered. May that never be the case. Sometimes that's a tough call. Right? Sometimes, how do you know? So sometimes I'm going to make a mistake. But here's the thing. If I'm going to make a mistake, I want that mistake every time to be on the side of grace, not on the side of judgment. That shows a standard then, a standard of faith. A standard of faith that recognizes that people come before God not because of what they've done, not because of who they are, But because of what Jesus has done for us. And we accept that in faith. I want to live by that standard. A standard that is a standard that replaces a standard of the law and becomes a standard of faith. A standard that recognizes that I'm living by this standard of faith instead of a standard of the law because it means that. I live as someone who is recklessly generous with the grace of God. Recklessly generous with the grace of God. Think about how that comes in the way Jesus makes that divide, right? That that Jesus, in all of the grace that he gives, but yet he so pointedly goes after hypocrites, Remember this story, the story that comes from Matthew 23 where Jesus says this. He's talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will be clean also. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness you know for people who are out in our communities who who will not come to church will not join the people of god for all of the reasons that they give for not doing that you know what the number one reason is the number one reason that people outside of the church give for staying outside the church because christians are a bunch of hypocrites they say that's what they see they're calling out a double standard calling out a hypocrisy that they see. So may it be then for us that living by a standard of faith instead of a standard of the law means that we become people who are recklessly generous with the grace of God to others. And the reason we embrace that with faith is because it is God who has been recklessly generous with his grace to us. If God does that for us, may we be people then who turn and do that for others. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and we thank you that you show us in your word how it is that we become so blinded by double standards. Lord, may we then be reminded of that in all the ways that we need to come before you and find how it is that you have once again called us to a faith, a faith in you that brings us before you, that reminds us that we bring nothing of our own, and that shows us once again how reckless your grace has been for us so that we may share that grace abundantly with those around us. God, you are the hope of our lives and of our world, and we bring that before you then knowing that you call and invite us to be your children in that. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior.